Hello and welcome to the Go Encourage podcast where I talk to real people about real life and today we are kicking off our relationship series. I'm really excited about this. We are flying over via technology of course to the United States of America and we're going to be speaking with the lovely Natalie Kazarian who is a licensed marriage therapist. She's a psychotherapist and uh, based on the work that she's done with couples she is also a relationship expert. Now for the first time we're going to do things a little bit differently. Lots of firsts this episode. We are going to ask her questions based on a poll that I put out on Instagram uh, where I asked you guys what are your top three questions that you would like answered by a relationship expert. So we're going to pose those questions to Natalie and let's see where the conversation goes. Hello Natalie, welcome to the Go Encourage podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. So where are you joining us from? I am joining you from California. Right now I'm in my home. This is also my office. I work virtually um, and I split my time between Northern California and Southern. Right now I'm in Northern California. So yeah, it's so cool that we are able to have these types of conversations across the world. It's amazing. It's amazing. Have you ever been over to London? Yes, I have. Um, Phenomenal. It was a long time ago, but um, I really, really enjoyed it. It was when I was a lot younger, just graduated college. So I think my experiences were really shaped by my age at that time, which was very fun. So. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good city. There's lots to do, right? Love it. Do you know what your name means? Do you know what Natalie means? Um, I'm pretty sure Natalie is um, either Italian. I think it's Italian or, or French. Or, it, it, it's, a, it's around. It means something about Christmas. I don't know exactly, but I know that like in differently, like Bon Natale means, I think Merry Christmas in a different language. Okay. I think I kind of looked it up as well and it was around, it was exactly that. It's around Christmas and it's something about the light arriving. So that's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. So your light that arrives wherever you go. It's amazing. That's I'm here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. I'm kidding. If you think back to when you were growing up, uh, did you have a certain ambition? Did you dream of? being in a particular uh, career? I think I had high hopes of either becoming a lawyer or a doctor. I remember in elementary school, one of my best friends, her and I were like, we'll become dermatologists together, which I don't know where we got even that from. But um, I've always enjoyed learning. I've always, I, I kind of consider myself a student always. So when I took my first psychology class in high school, I was like, what is this? This is incredible. Um, and then I ended up studying it in college. And then, of course, in graduate school, I decided to try it out as a career, and I love it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I know I, it wasn't like something from a young age that I've always wanted to do. I will say though that I've always been the kind of friend that people know that they can come to. Mm. I'm kind of like the friend who's able to talk through really hard things, even even when I was like very little. Um, I always enjoyed that. And actually, I still do. It's one of the things that I love most about my work. It's the ability to just have the most meaningful conversations. I mm. feel like I'm always drawn to that. So I think it was always in me. But um, I, I really discovered this type of work uh, in, in college. Mm. What do you actually do now? Well, I have the privilege of being able to sit with people in their pain and work through uh, different traumas that have occurred and hopefully 
create a greater understanding so people are able to live a more fulfilled life. Um, I work with individuals, couples, families. Um, I typically work through kind of like a trauma-informed lens. It's not the only modality that I use. There's different types of therapies that I that I employ, but um, I pretty much get to talk to people all day and help them mm -hmm. through their pain. And it is, it really is a privilege. Like I find this work to be something that, um, while challenging, uh, is something that really feeds my soul. I, I really love it. Mm -hmm. So I think I'm, I'm a lucky one in that sense where I get, I get to be excited about the work that I do every day. Love that. That's so good. And, and, you know, and loving your work and then also bringing, um, you know, a sense of hope, I guess, a sense of progress to the people that you're working, coming alongside. Uh, I'd so imagine that's really rewarding. Certainly. Um, and the work is, is interesting in the sense that um, I am like typically quite anonymous to my patients. Of course, over time, they learn stuff about me, but mm. um, I kind of follow the ideology that, you know, I am somebody here to help you and mm. I'm not somebody who always discloses a lot of things. So if any of my clients or patients ever listen to this, they might learn something Yay. that they didn't know about me, even people I've seen for years and years. So um, it, it's really cool how the therapeutic relationship works in that way, where I can be somewhat of a stranger and know everything about your life. Mm. And that's why I find it to be such a privilege because um, that's just such an unusual relationship that typically doesn't happen in any other relationships in your life. And another thing too, that I don't know if, sorry, can I kind of like just go off for a yeah, moment? No, it's great. Yeah, it's okay. great. It's okay. <laughs> Tell me if this is like, no, don't, don't go there. But, um, you know, I'm educated in all these different ways and stuff, but I don't actually give advice to people. I'm, my job isn't to like advise you on your life. Mm -hmm. I can tell you, you know, what the literature says, what the research says, I can learn about your experience. But sometimes people think that they're going to come to therapy, especially in the, the first time, maybe if you've never been in therapy, you come to a therapist and you're like, oh, good, they're going to tell me what to do. I'm like, <laughs> no, 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 I am not a life coach. I do not like, a, uh, like tell you, you need to go in this direction. We kind of look at what might be helpful for you. I can mm -hmm. say, you know, I, I recommend that you get movement every day, but I'm not going to say you have to work, right? It's like, so my, I don't give advice. And I think that that's something too, that is a little bit of a misconception about therapy. Mm. I am not an advice giver. I do other things. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I can relate to that. I've been, uh, I've had some therapy over the years for different things. And um, yeah, that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. Like three sessions, tell me what I need to do give me my task list, I'll get it done and everything's good, you know. Right. Um, where it is, it's more like shepherding, isn't it? It's like coming alongside someone, helping them to understand what's going on within themselves. I'm being very simplistic, of course. It's more complex than that. But um, No, that's, that's actually uh, really a beautiful way of saying it and really wonderful, like an easy way of understanding it. I'm, I'm walking next to you, not in front of you or behind you. And mm. so I can only meet you where you have met yourself. I might have ideas of where we're going. And of course, I will, shepherding might be the right term or guide or uh, counsel in that way. But um, you can't pull somebody who's not ready to go to a certain insight or understanding. Mm. Um, and part of therapy is like really trusting the process. Yeah. Therapy is so different than, I don't know, like taking an Advil or ibuprofen or something. It doesn't just like, oh, 
I'm in therapy now. Everything is better. True. No, as a matter of fact, sometimes things start to feel worse before they feel better because of this mm-hmm. way that we uncover. I, I actually, I talked about this on another, po- another podcast, but I, I think of us as like, we're on like an archaeological dig of your life and mm-hmm. certain things have been fossilized and crystallized and it's our work to go in and very gently, very slowly kind of brush away the dirt to see what's here and we look at it, we understand it. Whereas it's not just like a bulldozer coming in. It's not me saying, oh yeah, I think this is a daddy issue, right? It's not like that. <laughs> so um, it's a lot more gentle and a lot more, it's a slow, slow process, but it it's profound. I mean, mm-hmm. I myself have benefited benefited from years and years of therapy, so. Yeah, excellent. I've, I've got a few friends in my life. Um, in fact, men, I don't know if that means anything uh, to the next part, but that would just go, nope, I'm not going. Or, or yeah. I have signed up, but they're not going to get anything out of me. Um, and then when I speak to them, I'm like, well, actually, you're paying for a service, uh, not just with money, but your time as well. And so instead of fighting the therapist, you might as well trust the process and uh, you'll, you'll get to places. It's not so much about the speed, but you'll get to authentic places um, and, you know, your therapist is there to help you. So that I've had a couple of those conversations just in the last two weeks, actually. Um, so those totally are so agree. important to have such such an important conversation. And it's mm-hmm. really, I think, profound when men are talking to men about therapy because of the stigma, the inherent mm-hmm. stigma about a man going and talking about his feelings. And if you can't see me right now, I'm using quotes because it becomes so like, oh, we don't do that. It's too mm. stereotypically, I don't know, feminine or something to talk about mm. your emotions. But yep, all people have feelings and we have feelings every day. And um, if you don't know how to harness them, they are going to control your life mm. in, a, in a bad way. I agree. I think the root for me is always, look, if you're making decisions about your life, make them based, don't make them based on fear you know, fair enough, you make the decision that you want to make, but don't base it on fear because usually that'll end up in a regretful place. Um, uh, and it takes some courage to actually open up and speak to a therapist. Um, it, well, it takes courage to be vulnerable anyway, doesn't it? So, um, yeah. yeah, which is why I love so much what you're doing here with this podcast, uh, talking about courage and the courage to just try, try to see things differently, try to understand yourself differently, try to have greater self-awareness. Mm-hmm. I think that if you've been living in a certain pattern for decades and decades, like most of us have, we can't even think that something is going to be different. We can't even fathom how a feeling or a situation could ever be different than the way it is. Mm-hmm. But with a little bit of courage, with a little bit of vulnerability, with a little bit of just showing up in a new mm-hmm. way, it's about, okay, courage and, and trust really go hand in hand, I think. Mm, yeah, yeah, I love that. So good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some quick fire questions for you just to let's warm up and then we get, we, we'll, I love how deep we've got already. It's brilliant. Um, quick one before I do, you've got some paintings on the wall there. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Um, I am a, an amateur painter. I, um, this is my wall of great thinkers, or at least the men that I perceive as great thinkers. They're all psychologists and um, people who have influenced me. This is probably the most notable. This is uh, Sigmund Freud, <laughs> and he's yep. sitting in a chair. <laughs> and then there's some others um, who have been pretty profound. But 
I love painting. There's a lot of things that I like that outside of therapy too, or just psychology and painting's one of them. I love art. Natalie, what is your go-to comfort food? Pasta. Pasta, okay. Uh, what is your go-to clothing choice? What would you throw on? Yoga pants. <laughs> <laughs> Yoga pants or maybe like a sundress. I love dresses. Sundresses in the summertime are so easy. Nice. It's important to be comfortable. I like it. Um, favorite cuisine overall? Oh my I goodness. I love one. food so, so much. Um, <laughs> generally, I mean, we could say Italian. I'm Armenian. I love Armenian food. So let's go with Armenian and Italian. True to your roots. I like it. Okay. Favorite place? Favorite place? Anywhere that makes me feel connected. Um, so different cities. Um, like one of my favorite cities in the world is Dubrovnik in Croatia, but oh, it's just right. probably because who I was with and how beautiful that time was. Or um, I love going to Armenia. I feel very connected to my homeland. Um, nice. Okay, favorite season? Spring. Spring. Why spring? Oh, Sorry, I it's supposed to be quick fire, but no, no, no. I, I I love spring because it's like the sun is out and. Um, I love sunshine. And, and mm. in some parts of California, it gets very, very hot in the summer, which is why I didn't say summer. I, I like the heat, but not when it's like 110. And it does, uh, Fahrenheit, degrees Fahrenheit. It gets very hot here sometimes. Star sign. Like my zodiac sign? Yeah. Um, I'm an Aquarius. Um, and then what, what was the last movie you watched? I watched Meet Joe Black. Oh, that's what a great movie. Oh, that's such a great movie. Brilliant. It's really good. It's really good. I've seen it before, but I just love it. I love Brad Pitt too. So, Yeah, I, I think the cast do, just all around do an incredible job of that movie. Such a, oh, wow. Oh, that's an emotional movie. So what would you, quick rating out of 10 for people who haven't watched it? Oh, 10. 10, straight 10. <laughs> love it. 10, right. 10 out of 10. Okay, last quick fire question. Got to be quick. What was the last TV show you watched? No judgment. Oh, Seinfeld. Oh, okay, cool. That's that's cool. That's cool. It works. It works. <laughs> Are they going to come up with a guilty pleasure? Signed for um, or before, okay, because that's like a, my favorite show of all time. Kind of, the last show that I watched was Succession. Succession. Oh, I've heard good things. I haven't seen it. Oh, my goodness, Rick. You've got to watch that show. It is really good. And for all the people out there who are interested in like uh, family dynamics, family conflict, there's a ton of psychology in it. I mean, it's just... It's amazing. It's amazing. All right, yeah. let's go a little bit deeper. So these aren't quick fire. Um, they can be if you want, but are you an introvert or an extrovert? Which way around? Uh, which would you lean more towards? Um, I'm an ambivert. I, there are situations where I really enjoy my solitude. I love spending time with myself, but um, mm -hmm. I do derive energy from social settings. So I love meeting new people. I love going into different uh, places where I don't know anybody. I, f I find myself to be a friendly person. It's some feedback I've gotten many times. So I like just talking to people. Ambivert, it's, 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 it's the gold standard. That's the one, isn't it? <laughs> <I guess> so. <laughs> um, would you say you lean more to your logical side or to your emotional side? I'm emotional. I'm emotional. My husband would say that too. I'm emotional. <laughs> is is he more logical? Is that how it balances Much out? Much more logical. He's okay. an engineer by trade and um yes <laughs> he is much more logical I'm much more emotional but I like to think that we 
Um, and we'll probably talk about this in another question too, but like the impact of your partner on who you are and how there's this like beautiful exchange that occurs the longer you're with somebody. Are you more of a make things happen sort of person or do you kind of just go with the flow? I am very direct. I like, I like to get stuff done. I'm, Mm -hmm. yeah, I will, I'm the kind of like, like, let's go, let's do it. I see a plan, let's execute. It doesn't matter if the plan is bad, we'll fix it along the way, but we have to like get started. Yeah. Okay. I like it. Um, What's your favorite thing to do during your downtime? Oh, good question. Um, My favorite thing, probably some combination of traveling and being with the people that I love and enjoy the most. Okay. All right. Strong. Uh, Have you taken the love languages test? Yeah. Yeah. The Gary, Gary Chapman. Gary Chapman. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Do you know what your top two are? Um, I'd say probably out of those five, maybe, um, my, my top is probably quality time. Um, but I, I would kind of argue that there are way more than five love languages and, um, yeah, quality time if we're going along those five, but there's, there's so many more. What would you say is the next one in, in line? Out of those five, um, uh, verbal affirmations, I think is one of them, or like getting, getting positive feedback. I like, I like words. I like communicating about things. I probably over communicate in certain situations just because (laughs) of my own background and what I did or didn't get growing up. And that's how I kind of approach the world. Okay. So, so your top one is quality time. Your second one is words of affirmation. You should maybe look into maybe looking to be a therapist because those are quite like, <laughs> <laughs> they kind of work well that's um, right that's right uh, another another one what's a good compliment you remember that's been said about you um let's see here i i really have been told that i'm friendly and warm i don't know if that's true i i like to think i am but um yeah again it's it's a kind of a joke <laughs> my i'll go somewhere and i'll come home my husband goes okay who'd you meet who I'll be like, I made a friend today. He's like, no kidding. Who? Tell me about them. All the, their whole life story. It's like all of a sudden I have all these friends at these random places, even just in line at the grocery store. So I like Love meeting it. people. I like talking. You know what? I can testify to that because I know we had a we had a chat a few weeks ago. Um and it was like I've known you forever. Like it was it was it was I can't remember what we covered some really big topics as well, didn't we? Just big ones but there you go so yeah I I testify to that uh what do people misunderstand about you hmm probably that I have a lot of interests um like I said this is I like my work is very important to me and I love it but um I could see myself doing another like a whole host of other things I could see myself retiring from being a therapist in 10 years and starting something new going back to school Mm. like I'm not afraid of like doing it all over again but I think that can be kind of misunderstood that I'm like not committed to something or I I'm always kind of looking out elsewhere but um I I'm very committed to what I do but I also always keep an open mind and opportunities Mm. and yeah wow there's there's a lot of resilience in that as well if you're willing to start over and and Mm -hmm. and go for it you know um uh Another quick question, and then we'll get into the meat. Okay, so what are you really enjoying about your life at the moment? I'm really, I'm really grateful for um, the the ability to kind of like allow 
the universe or God or whomever, whatever is out there to kind of point me in the direction that I, I need to go, like really learning to trust the process of, of life and how not everything is within my control and relinquishing that it can be really challenging. But I think I've, I, I practice every day kind of saying, like, okay, today is new. It is fresh, but I'm also, I can't micromanage everything. Even if I'd like so badly for something to happen in my life where I'd like so badly for a certain relationship to be better. It's like, sometimes things just shift and change and really learning to trust that and being grateful for it because it lead, it's leading me toward my most authentic self and what could be wrong with, I mean, that's, that's, I think the whole point. So mm, really like trusting that. the process, having gratitude for the process of life. Yeah. I think you, you hit on something beautiful there. It, that really is the point, isn't it? Of turning up and being who you are. I think we can yeah. all get lost in being someone that we're not or trying to be something that we're not, but yeah, I yeah. that's strong. Um, I'm interested in, so part of going courage is to go, so yeah, we talk about courage, but the go part is to take some action. I think you touched on that a little bit earlier on. Um, so I'm really interested in whether people have routines or a rhythm about their life that helps them stay productive. Uh, do you have, do you have like a habit or a routine that you sort of follow, some kind of pattern that you apply to your life to see productivity? Yeah. So there's two things that really pop out to me. The first is the, the huge importance like i can't even stress this enough of of being in touch with your with your physical body movement being able to engage in things that feel challenging and and good for you like whether if you like lifting weights or dancing or or like but making it a priority in your life because what a lot of people don't realize is that our emotions are very much tied to our physical body as a matter mm. of fact trauma is actually stored in our fascia in our in our in our body. And so when we're not able to move in a way that we're comfortable with or that is familiar to us, things get really stuck. And this is kind of where like people who struggle with chronic pain or a lot of autoimmune issues, I mean, this is all related to your emotional self. Mm. So if we can create a really healthy relationship and and take a sense of pride in moving every single day, even if it's just a walk around the block or something, or deeply breathing or doing stretches. I mean, it doesn't have to always be some like crazy marathon thing. It can just a relationship to the body and actually treating yourself like this is the only one you have because it is. Okay. I like so that. that's the first one. Yeah. Um, and then the second routine that is really helpful, I think for people is, um, journaling honestly being able to take the thoughts out of your mind and put them on a piece of paper and recognizing that that process is one that needs to be practiced as well um journaling is just it's free you can do it anywhere it's profound it 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 can take you to places you never thought you'd go and it's a really important way to emotionally process and so for people who maybe don't have access to therapy or treatment like that um, just writing down your thoughts and getting it out there as consistently as possible, like everything else, consistency is key, mm. um, is a really helpful routine that people can implement again, like right now, today. Yep. Yeah. There's no barrier to entry. You can just get started, can't you? Nope. And there's really no barrier to entry and movement either. I mean, you could yep. 
you can move. I mean, we could do some movement right now, right? It's like <laughs> we could do anything right now, and it doesn't. It doesn't have to be sold to you. You mm. you can. Do, it's free. It's your body is wise. It will move when it needs if you allow the space. Like we have to tap into that wisdom too, that your body knows what it needs and to give it give it what it needs. Mm. Yeah, I like that really a lot. I know during lockdown. Um, you know, a lot of people were tr trying to keep active whilst being in their little bubbles and stuff like that. And one of the things we did uh, was dance. I was like, look, it's going to be hard to jog on the spot and do all those online sort of gym type things, but we could just dance and have fun as a family and put on some, so I have an Indian background. So I put on some Bollywood music, which is really dramatic and really like lots of beats and stuff. And, and yeah, you got your heart rate up and, you know, you feel good for it. Um, and I'm so glad you said journaling because we have put together a car we call it the courage journal it's right here um amazing so a few of us uh, uh three of us have put together i don't know if you'll be able to see it on screen but the, it's a guided daily journal in fact i'll uh, send you a copy um it's it's available in the uk it's available in america as well so i can i can send you a copy um Wonderful. but the idea is this 31 days um of courage building um mm. so there's there's four pages per day one is a reflection we can talk about gratitude and things like that what you learned from yesterday there's some quotes some inspiration a little bit of a challenge for those people who who like to be challenged um and then a sort of a plan for the day ahead um and a lot of it has been sort of purposely thought out to help you sort of process your thoughts and 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 you know ultimately try and get them from out here and 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 reflect back to you what's actually going on in the inside um it's incredible that is absolutely incredible um yeah so people can find it online or where can people find that so that's um at goencourage.com um and nice. then it has links it's it's all it's all via amazon so um really easily accessible and things like yeah. that but uh, yeah i, I really well, want you forward to receiving it thank you yeah i'll give you a copy i'd really be interested in your feedback as well with your professional background so that's cool wonderful wonderful all right, we've got there. We are here. And um, I just want to let everyone listening know that actually this podcast was done a little bit differently. None of these questions have come from me. Um, actually, one of, sorry, that, that's not true. One question came from me. <laughs> and the rest of the questions came from a poll um, asking people what their top three questions were in terms of um, relationships. So you are answering questions that have been pulled together from lots of people. Um, and I, I know they'll be eager to hear the answer as well. So here we go. Why do you think romantic relationships are important? Why do they mean so much to us? Well, from a, like a purely anthropological perspective, um, you know, we need romantic relationships for the perpetuation of our species. So a lot of it is around how we mate and connect. Now, living in kind of this very modern time that we do, there's all of these different ways that people can procreate with or without a partner. I mean, it's not required any longer. Um, and I think the importance of um, romantic relationships has kind of shifted into this postmodern kind of era. Uh, Esther Perel, who's a really wonderful kind of guru in the couples therapy world, mm. talks a lot about how people are now, con are, you know, getting into relationships as, as a way of trying to increase their level of happiness and how we sometimes rely really heavily on our partners to like create our happy life. 
Um, and she goes into it way better than I can about how that's not realistic and the expectations that we place on people is really hard. But um, I tend to agree, though, that people connect on a romantic level because they want to be happy. They want to increase, in addition to, of course, like you may want to reproduce, but there are people who get together who never want to have children, and that's perfectly reasonable. A lot of people these days, too, aren't even getting married anymore. I mean, I think mm. marriage rates have gone down significantly, um, especially for young people. So I think we're like seeing this shift happen right in front of us. But um, just some other reasons that are popping into my mind, feelings of companionship, connection, um, mm. you know, kind of from like a financial perspective, people might need to uh, to be in a relationship to feel supported in that way. Um, and then, of course, the different roles that you might play in your relationship really could benefit you. So mm. I think there's all sorts of reasons that are. Um, yeah. And I forgot to to mention love, which I probably should. <laughs> but um, I think that relationships um, and happiness and love kind of all go hand in hand. But we have these mm. really high expectations of our relationships now that, um, you know, for better or worse, are, are there. Okay. Great answer. What part does courage play in this is so this is the one question that came from me, right? Okay. What part does courage play in relationships? How important is this? Oh, it's hugely it's hugely important because of um, the the relationship that it has with trust. In order to be courageous with somebody, you you have to trust yourself in in many ways, mm. and so. The vulnerability that's required for healthy and happy long-term relationships requires courage. You have to show up. You have to try. You have to want it. Um, I was just working with a couple a while of several months ago, and um, you know, we can do a lot of work in couples therapy. But if if you don't have the courage to show up and be open and vulnerable and talk about what you what you need and what you want. Mm. It, it kind of reaches a, a point where there's not much more we can do. So without the courage to go there, and I'm kind of using quotes because there is whatever is vulnerable to you, um, it's, it's just not going to be that satisfying. If someone is, let's say, over communicating from a place of fear that they're trying to make everything feel good and they want their partner to feel good and the other person actually doesn't know how to express themselves i guess mm -hmm. there's courage on both sides to be able to trust that yeah. that where that's coming from and actually that the other person is going to show up um, if given the chance yeah yeah and um you know that that's i think that's a really it's a really common dynamic the one that you just described um if we're speaking kind of like attachment terms it's kind of like mm -hmm. the anxious and the avoidant and what happens mm -hmm. when somebody's pursuing and somebody is withdrawing from the vulnerability or the conversation or what they need or what they want so if that description sounds like anybody listening like no you're not alone this is very very common um but it is, it is necessary to kind of unpack what that means for you and your partner mm -hmm. because those relationships can feel really, really challenging and maybe ultimately might end because you don't know how to kind of show up with the right courage and vulnerability that's necessary to move the relationship forward. Mm. On that note, uh, uh, this is not a product sponsorship or anything like that, but there's this... Um... Okay. 
it's a really cool book that I'm, I'm, I've started reading. I don't know if you've come across uh, Attached. Attached. Yes, of course yes. I have. Yes, I've read yes, that. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. I haven't got through all of it, but it, it's completely impacted the way I'm thinking about attachment oh, styles as well, which is really, really helpful. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. And what's really cool about attachment theory um, is that, you know, like most things I think in life, people try to take the t- take the quiz and put themselves in the box and like, this yeah. is what I am. I am securely yeah. attached. Or I'm anxiously attached. Or I'm avoidantly attached. These are these attachment styles, as they're called, are highly flexible. Mm. They're plastic in the sense that you can learn what attachment style you might most identify with, and mm. it can shift and change with greater self awareness. Mm. It can shift and change depending on who is on the other side of that relationship. So we might find that we're really, you know, if an anxious person is highly attracted to an avoidant, which can happen. Mm. Um, with the right self-work and inner work, they might find that they find somebody who's securely attached and then they're working through their stuff, their anxious attachments with the secure person. And they have a completely different relationship, a completely Mm -hmm. different dynamic, and they're no longer anxious in the relationship. And it's like, well, how did that work if it's a fixed thing? It's like, well, Mm -hmm. attachment styles are not fixed. So that's like like a really good piece of news for anybody who's like, oh, shoot, I found out I'm avoidant or I'm disorganized in how I attach to people. It's like, mm. that's okay. But do the work, do, do the, work the work to understand why mm. and how and where it came from and who you pick as partners. And oftentimes people who maybe are at the beginning of their journey or who have never done therapy or done that kind of inner psychological work, they mm. find that they date the same person over and over and over again. It's just a different mm. face or they look different, but the, we're attracted to the dynamics of things. And that's really um, usually what needs to be assisted with or counseled mm. or shepherded, as you've said. Yeah. I, I did some work with a therapist and I was like, oh, well, you know, this person, this person. And then, and she came back to me and she said, well, your work is for you and their work is for them. Stop trying to do their work for them. You've got to do that's the work right. within yourself. And when I, when I got that, it really helped me to understand, well, actually, mm-hmm. If I if I can you know change that neural pathway or whatever it is I can or change that mindset that thinking actually I show up for me not for anybody else and and that kind yeah. of you know links to what you're saying it's not a set in stone this is your attachment mm-hmm. style and that's it you you you're doomed that's it you know um, no and yeah and I mean your experience just kind of with that I mean it can not to like flip the script real quick, but like, I'm sure it was very jarring for you at the very beginning when your therapist was like, Hey, let's take care of your side of the street first. Like, Mm -hmm. you don't need to worry about that. I mean, that feeling of like, Oh, is something wrong with me? It's like, no, 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 nothing's wrong with you. It's just about reframing that it's not about them and what they're Mm -hmm. doing. It's about why, how are you showing up? Why are you attracted to this person? What does this remind you of? This familiar, this familiarity that we typically try to reenact um, mm-hmm. in our romantic relationships because romantic relationships are just like mirrors. They bring up all the stuff that you maybe don't want to see, that don't want to look at. And mm-hmm. a lot of times it's trying to correct something from childhood and, you know, it, we all do it. We all do yeah. it. Really good. Um I really like that you've made that point in terms of, you know, it's not, fi- again, not fixed, it's plastic. And and I think with the love languages as well, whether you're doing strength finders, uh, Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, 
uh, a lot of people and, and you know we talked about star signs really quickly there mm -hmm. people think okay this is my star sign or this is my love language or this is my attachment style and that's it and this and then they kind of play into it don't they whereas mm -hmm. um i think it's healthier um to see them as indications of where you're at at that time and then move if you want to uh you've got to want to right move according to yeah. that um so yeah i really i really like your point there that's good do you believe in soulmates no <laughs> no i don't i i don't think that there is one person out there that completely completes you or me it, it's not like that i mean i think that that we have deeper connections with certain people certain people have greater emotional capacities than other people and um but at the end of the day relationships really do take intention and awareness and conversation and um i'm not saying anybody could fit with anyone at any time but i also don't think that there's like this one person out there i it just no and and maybe that that is like popping some bubbles for people around the mystery mm -hmm. of relationships. It's like, no, because the th let's, let's just for a moment, like say like, let's say you go somewhere and you feel like this unbelievable attraction to this person. And you're like, so like enamored and all these, you know, I, I would question kind of like, well, is there any trauma bonding going on? What, what ex like, are you, are there any substances involved? Where were you at the time? It's like, we can kind of look at these things and it, it, it's in no way to devalue those moments for people or that love at first sight mm -hmm. moment. I mean, that can happen, but I just really don't believe in this one person for every person. It mm -hmm. doesn't happen that way. Do you know what, while you're saying that I'm thinking, Oh, what if your soulmate is yourself? Mm. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, I like it. Mm. I like it. Because I think nice. you said I something mean, earlier on about it's good for your soul. I think we were talking about your favorite place or something. And you said, no, your job, mm, you saying it's yeah. good for your soul. So it's kind of like, you know, that's the journey you're going on with yourself and you're looking for yeah. it in other places. I don't know. Oh, I okay. like it. I'll have to think on that. You've given me something to reflect on. Thank you. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> um, all right. How important is it to have a self? Oh, look, this kind of ties in. That was, that was okay. All right. How important <laughs> is it to have a sense of self before entering into a relationship? Yeah, supremely important. I, I mean, supremely important because if you don't know who you are, and I don't mean this to sound so kitschy, but like if you don't know yourself, then you're going to be relying on somebody else to tell you. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm not saying people are ill-intended, but like they don't know any better than you. And you, it, it, it's, oh, I think that that would be an overall, um, untenable place to live. If you're in a relationship where you have no sense of self, of mm. who you are, what you want, where you want to go, your direction, your values, your goals and dreams. Um, yes. so I think so it's very, actually, very I'm an 18 year old. I've just come out of what we would say as, uh, just getting into university. Um, mm -hmm. I've ticked all my boxes, you know, I've got my, Maybe, maybe I'm not 18. Maybe let's fast forward to 22. I've done some sure. degree stuff. Everything's cool. I ticked all the boxes. I know what I want to do. Now, the next thing on my list is to be in a relationship because that's what people do, right? Um, but right. I don't know what I want from life. But if I can just get that perfect person and then just serve her and just make her my world, um, that's, that's what we do, right? That's the Hollywood dream, isn't it? Hmm. What would you say to that? What would be the, 
the, the advice to someone who's that way inclined? <laughs> um, okay, so the thought that's coming to my mind is like, people getting into a relationship does not solve your problems. Um, you, you, it doubles your problems and it, it, it like cuts your control in half. So like now you have double the problems because it's your problems and their problems. And now you have to coordinate with this person on how you're going to get through all this. Mm. So I really think that, you know, I would tell that person, I, I understand why you think that there's a tremendous amount of media out there and the, the Hollywood story of like happily ever after once you meet your person. But um, yeah, going back to like what you said, like maybe, maybe we just need to get to know ourselves better and become our own soulmate or our own best friend or whatever that word is. What's the most important factors in establishing if the person you are with, so let's say you've been dating someone, let's put a number on it, six months, a year. Uh, how do you know that that's the right person for you? Um, so now we're moving away from this person fulfills me and completes me, but how do mm -hmm. I know that this is, you know, the right person to sort of continue with? I I think that this can, you know, this, this answer can vary for people, but um, what I have found working with lots of individuals and couples, and of course, just my own personal experience um, how does this person leave you feeling? Do you feel like a good version of yourself around them? Do you um, do you feel challenged in a, in a good way? Like, does this person help you think about yourself and your life a little differently? And if I had to pick one quality that is really important for sustainable long-term relationships, it would be the ability to self-reflect or the self-awareness. Mm -hmm. Because at the end of the day, you can't, you're not gonna be able to, to, control this person or they're not going to be able to, you know, live a life just because you want them to live it that way. But can that person reflect on their own actions and behaviors? And are they able to, to, to come to you and say like, this is what I'm going through and, and, and work through it as a couple versus like, there's a lot of projection or um, mm. displaced emotion. Like if you don't, if you're dating somebody who's like never thought about what makes them angry or triggers them and, then they're triggered and all of a sudden you're like, wait, this isn't my fault, but they're blaming you. I mean, that's where we get into some of that toxic relationship stuff, but the mm. but we're all toxic until we're not, right? We're all toxic until we become aware of ourselves and our patterns. So it's not to say like that's bad. It's just to say how emotionally aware are they of their, their own self and who they mm. are. Yeah, I like that. That's good. That's strong. Because then out of that, everything else kind of flows, doesn't it? Um, yeah. if you're, if you're aggressive by nature, let's say, or, uh, a sulky kind of person or whatever it is, if you can mm -hmm. self-reflect and take on that feedback and say, yep. actually this person that I'm with, who knows me really well, um, is yeah. giving me something to think about. Maybe I should go and think about it, you know? Um, yep. That's exactly um, right. Are there common things men look for in women and women look for in men? I want to be really cautious with answering this question because I do not want to feed into stereotypes of like sure. men look for this and women look for that. But um, I can tell you that women tend to want an emotional connection. Um, but so do men. So, you know, mm. I think maybe a better way that I can answer this, if I can almost like tweak the question, it would be to understand the capacity of the person that you're wanting the relationship with. So if you have like a really deep artistic kind of like person who wants to get involved in all of these kind of unconventional things, you know, it's probably not going to work with somebody who's like 
doesn't care about that or can't go there with you, even in conversation. So I think it's more just about looking at what are your particular values and regardless of gender, and mm-hmm. how do you communicate those values to the person that you'd like to be in the relationship mm-hmm. with? And I think it can look a lot of different ways, but I just, I really, I don't know if I even want to answer like men look That's for cool. this and women look for that. Sure, sure. There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, when I've, I've spoken to, um, I used to run a group where we had about 45 men uh, and it was really interesting going in with a mindset and then actually looking at the reality of what was going on. Um, and what I found was that men look for an emotional connection. It just tended to look different to yeah. to to what you would assume uh that was because you you know whatever the stereotypes are um okay what advice would you give to those who have been dating i think we've kind of covered this to be fair i want to move on i want to move on um what advice would you give to a couple who've just got married what would be the first you know like really good first steps post marriage post marriage um I'd say find a couples counselor that you can create a relief, uh, establish a relationship with, not that you need to go see them all the time, but um, kind of like a primary care doctor, like somebody that you know that you can go to when things get tough. Um, having that kind of preventative thing in place can actually relieve a lot of tension in relationships. Mm. So that would be my advice. It would be go find a, a therapist or a, or a clinician who can you can establish a dynamic with so that when things come up, because they will come up in your marriage, you have somewhere to go and, and process it. That's really good. So simple. Yeah, it's that simple. And and most couples therapists too, I mean, you may find variability in this, but like if you go see them for a few sessions and then you say, can I call you when I need something? They usually say yes. So mm. if you find that a therapist won't do that, I mean, then just find a different therapist, which by the way, if something doesn't fit, just always find a different provider. But um, most most couples, couples therapists, especially if they have a foundation with you, that you can kind of do like an as needed or maintenance based or just like a few clusters of sessions with them. I really like that because we get life insurance, don't we? Yeah. At a young age, yeah. we just go, oh, yeah, we probably won't need it, but I'll grab some yeah. life insurance. Um, yeah. If something happens, you know, that that's really good. Yeah. If, yeah. if people were listening closer to where you are, how would someone get in touch with you? Oh, yeah. So this is what's cool about the world that we live to. I, um, I have an Instagram that you can find me on. It's at Natalie Kazarian MFT. Um, and you can find all my information there, including my website and my uh, phone number and things like that. Um, or if you just wanted to passively kind of learn more about me, that's probably the best way. Okay, awesome. I'll put that in the in the in the description below as well, and we'll we'll cover it at the end as well. But I just thought while we're on that, if people yeah. close to you are going, "Hey, we just got married. Uh, this is great advice. Let's yeah. go see Natalie." Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Uh, what are some common misconceptions about marriage that you often encounter in your work? Um, that this person is going to know what you need all the time and that they're going to be able to give it to you effortlessly and lovingly all the time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, that's not how marriage works um, or relationships. You have to learn to be able to ask for what you need and trust and have courage that your partner is going to be able to show up for you the best they can. Mm. Um, But also recognizing that nobody is perfect and that if you get your needs met, 
the majority of the time or over 50%, that's pretty good. Um, and a lot of it is going to be like, how do you self-soothe? How do you communicate? Mm -hmm. How do you take care of what you need without that person there too? Because it's your job to be in charge of your happiness. It's not mm -hmm. theirs. Yeah, really good. Really strong. Um, again, these questions are, are blending in beautifully well. How important is it to meet your partner's needs? Um, is it a fair request from your spouse? I think you picked up, you, you said something about around the 50, you know, above 50% mark is a good indication. Yeah. I mean, again, I think this kind of goes back to like, how does this person make you feel generally? Like, are they mm -hmm. attentive to you? Are they attuned to you? Do they listen to you? Do you have funny, if, if, you know, humor is valuable to you, like, do you guys laugh together? If, in, I don't know, intellectual conversations, politics are important to you. Are you able to talk to your partner about things like that? And it's, it's not to say that if they can't do that with you, then they're the wrong partner. But it is to say that, you know, when, when you choose to get married or remain in a committed partnership, like you're going to be having a lot of conversations with this person in addition to a lot of meals. So I always tell people too, that before you get married, ask yourself, like, can you talk to this person for 10,000 meals? Can you have a meal with them once a day for the rest of your mm -hmm. life? Like, is this that, per do you want that person on the other side of every dinner that you have? And if you can't say like, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe sure. Right. If your answer is like, oh God, no, <laughs> no, 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 they don't. Then yeah, maybe it's time to kind of recalibrate the relationship. How do couples maintain emotional intimacy in a marriage? So we're not talking about physical intimacy. We're talking, I know the two are it's connected, but uh, emotional intimacy. How do, how do couples prevent this area be, becoming stagnant? Um, being aware of when your partner is bidding for connection. A bid for connection can be really small or really big. A bid could be sending a meme on Instagram to your partner. Do you respond? Do you like it? Do you talk about it? Um, or do you not? Uh, a big bid for connection could be them saying, hey, I need some attention from you. You know, I'm feeling really lonely right now. Are you able to show up or do you get defensive? And, you know, it's about attunement. Attun emotional attunement is something that we talk about in developmental psych a lot around um, infant caregiver work. But that's the same all the way up to romantic relationships. How attuned are you to your partner? And um, again, it's not about mind reading, but it is when they're saying, hey, I need I need you. Do you want to give your attention and love to them? Do you mm -hmm. do you give freely and lovingly in, mo you know, more times than not? And I think that that is a way that people can build emotional intimacy. And as you've so uh, succinctly described, emotional intimacy is really the cornerstone of physical intimacy. Mm -hmm. So um, if you are having a dissatisfying sex life or you don't feel connected to your partner, like with hugs and kisses or touch, um, I would probably think that your emotional connection is in, in a lot of need too, maybe even more than you think. Mm. Powerful sex sex yes let's talk about sex okay let's do it yeah. um assuming sex is an important part of a relationship how do you keep sex a healthy part of your relationship well i think this really dovetails our last question i mean how emotionally connected and intimate are you with your partner um you know we don't always get our physical needs met at the time that we want them but are you able to communicate with your partner about what your sexual needs are, mm. what good sex looks like to you? And 
and I want to be very clear, it's probably not as traditional as society has made it sound. So, Mm -hmm. you know, there's typically a lot of shame and secrecy around the topic of sex and sexuality. Um, But I think that if people were able to be courageous in their conversations, they would find like, oh, what I'm needing and what I'm wanting is actually totally attainable in this. Or Mm -hmm. if I'm able to have a conversation with my partner about what my sexual needs are or are not, what my boundaries are, then we can start to negotiate how we can get those needs met. Because Mm. the likelihood that you're going to meet somebody with the exact sex drive, with the exact same things that turn you both on, and you're going to have this right, the quote unquote, right amount of sex every month with each other. uh, No, that's not going to happen without any conversation or any understanding. So sorry, what was your question? Uh, how do you keep that? How do you keep sex a healthy part of your relationship? And and you've, you've nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. Communicate. That's probably yes. Communicate. And something I like that that you, that you said there is um. In in terms of communication, say what you'd like. Tell yeah. the other person, and I, and that takes some courage because there's this assumption, and I think you touched on it again, is that if you if you've picked the right person, they'll just know. They'll, they'll just meet you on the same sex level or, you know, all that kind of stuff, same libidos and all the rest of it, but it doesn't quite work like that. Yeah. No, no. And um, I'm going to just do a little caveat here. If you are somebody who's listening, who's ever, ever had any sort of sexual trauma or sexual shame come up for you, whether that be religious or otherwise, if you've ever been, I don't know, you know, sometimes people who um, had difficulty coming out to their families or sexuality and sex might be a really challenging part mm-hmm. of your life. And I just want you to know that that's okay. In But um, that might require a little bit more individual work for you to unpack that shame and how that's coming up for you. But it is very common, commonplace. So you're not alone, but it is important to look at your own dynamic and own relationship with sex and sexuality. Is it true that men have a higher sex drive than women? Or is that just... Load of rubbish. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Pew. No, I don't think that's true. But I do think that men and women are attract. The things that make them attracted might look a little different. You know, female um, arousal looks a lot different than male arousal in terms of what happens to the female body versus what happens to the male body. Men, I think, can almost be like graphed. Like there's, a, they get aroused. There's a peak, and then it falls off. Right, like just like that. <laughs> the ejaculation then they're done um and it maybe maybe some men are more visual again i don't want to be very stereotypically gendered here but but for women arousal especially in long-term committed relationships it starts in the morning did did my husband take out the trash like he said he would um when i say good morning to him does he come in toward me and give me a kiss or does he is he distant right all of these things start to impact how connected we feel emotionally. And that's going to then lead to uh, the physical or sexual connection later on. And, you know, I think that all of those things need to be taken into consideration when we mm. think about female arousal. Yes. Um, spoken to many men who, uh, and myself, one of them, so I'm not throwing all the rest of them under the bus. Okay. Why is that connected? why is that (laughs) okay all right i didn't do the dishes come on (laughs) you know like um yes that's it's important uh this one came up a lot a lot i think i know what you're going to say but i have to ask it okay how how often should couples have sex it was the it was the most like predominant question that i got 
how often really? should couples have sex? Uh, of course, this could vary, you know, from your experience working with couples. Is there a kind of, I don't know, number or something um, that tends to work? I think I know what you're going to say, but I have to ask the question. <laughs> so it depends, right? It really, really depends on the couple and what works for them. But like like we've been talking about, it's, it's um, also, let me just say this because it's, Married couples are committed really people aren't having as much sex as you think. Like people aren't like every night getting it on all the time for 50 years. Like that's and I think again society or media or movies or whatever they there's this like impression that like this is what happens and if you're not having sex for a period of time or if there's like a a very particularly stressful part of your life and it's not happening as much that you're somehow in this like really small minority it's like no it's not true that being said though um if there is no sexual dynamic or you're not having sex you know for years i mean that that is problematic um but really it it depends and i think i can tell you that most people i think you could probably look this up on google too are having sex roughly but three to six times a month, something like, so about maybe, you know, some people might have sex twice a week or so. Some people might have sex once or once every other, but the quality of the sex is much more important than the quantity of the sex. Mm -hmm. So if you're finding that you're having sex once a month, but it's just this really amazing experience and you're satisfied and your partner's satisfied, great. No problems here. Now, if there's a mismatch, I mean, that could be work for a couple's therapy session or that could be a conversation as we've been talking. You can just talk to your partner um, about what you're needing. And, you know, maybe for some people, they don't have the same libido or the same sex drive as their partner. Um, But there might be creative ways to help a partner who has a higher libido. Because at the root of it, you know, we talked about emotional connection. Um, and yeah. at the root of physical connection, it is about connection, isn't it? More than anything else, it's about yes. connecting with the other person. Um, so you know that that ties well with what you said there. Um, I think the last one on sex before we move on: when sexual intimacy, sorry, when sexual intimacy is lost and only seems to carry importance to one partner in a relationship, how best would you suggest trying to rematch that, bringing it back together? Oh man, this is a tough one because I in no way want to devalue or diminish the importance of either partner's needs. Mm. Um, but I would go into kind of like, well, when did it start to go down and what happened? What happened in the person's life, whether it be the man or the woman, you know? Um, I think that's really, really individual. Um, and I would, I really would recommend like go talk to a sex therapist or a couple's counselor um, about that because both people's needs are important. Sometimes we tend to devalue the physical need or the sexual need as just being like, well, he's a dog and all he wants to do is have sex. It's like, yeah, maybe, but maybe not, right? Maybe not. Maybe that can be valuable and important too. But without the the context of when did it start to diminish or when did it start to go down, um, I think it'd be really hard to answer that question generally. Mm-hmm. So I'm sorry. I don't know how to answer that. That's okay. That's cool. But it sounds like if that is the case um because three people uh texted me that question yeah. um we're saying get some help get some outside help communicate yeah. about it and and see where you're at and, and when did that start going down so yeah yeah and and I know how hard that can be because um you know 
I will say this too, the, um, the mental state of your partner impacts sex a lot. So like things like depression, anxiety, um, these really impact a person's libido. And it, so, you know, is your partner depressed? How long have they been depressed? And again, I'm speaking just very generally here. If that doesn't fit whomever asked this question, that's fine. But um, you'd be surprised how often depression comes up and like why we're not having sex in the relationship, but nobody knew that they were depressed. And it's like, mm -hmm. that's what's going on. So speaking with a trusted therapist could be really helpful in a situation like that. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay. Um, switching gears a little bit. Should okay. couples have long-term plans? Uh, three, five, ten-year plans, let's say. Mm. Um, it depends. It depends. <laughs> I will say, I will say that um, there are certain ages that certain things need to happen, just biologically. You know, mm -hmm. if you are a woman and you want to have children, you likely need to do it before the age of forty-five. I mean, science can help and all of this. But if you are then dating somebody who has said they don't want to have children, that might, you know, you need to talk about that. It, I think it's more important, I think, for people during childbearing years to have those conversations. But if you're somebody who doesn't want to have children or you don't want to, you don't, you, you're fine kind of living just how, wherever the wind blows. I don't know if 10 years down the line is important to talk about. Mm. I just, you know, it, it really, really depends. In, in this situation, I'd say it really it's contingent upon if the two people are planning on um, having children together. I think that that is really the most important. Now, that being said, if you have completely different values, mm -hmm. that is something that really needs to be. Values are very, very important to discuss. Yeah. And maybe that that kind of dovetails long term plans, you know, but yeah. maybe it doesn't either. Um, but I think companionship, marriage, and long-term relationships look different when you're 20, 30, 50, or 70. It just looks mm -hmm. different. And I don't know how important the older people get after they, after that critical period of time for mm -hmm. having children, if that's, I don't know how important it is to talk about a 10 year plan when you're 70. I don't know. I don't, yeah. it, it may be, it may not be. Yeah. I, I like that you um, landed on values. I think values speak a lot, don't yeah. they? Because then you know that wherever you're going, plan or no plan, if your values are aligned, you're mm -hmm. kind of walking the same sort of path. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's good. Uh, can Oh, attachment styles. Can avoidant and anxious attachment styles break the cycle and move closer towards each other? Yes. Okay. Yes, and then the yes, yes. Resounding yes. Going to take some work, but yes. So the follow-up to that is what would be good steps? Like what would be a good next step, let's say? Um, okay. Let's talk about like without the resource of therapy uh, because that might not be help or available to everybody listening. But um, mm -hmm. going back to the idea of self-awareness self and self-reflection, are you able to reflect on your own particular style or the way it's manifesting in this particular relationship? Um, if you're avoidant, can you talk about being avoidant without becoming too defensive? Like, can you create the awareness within yourself of like, you know what, I do tend to do this. And when my partner brings this up to me, she's not or he's not trying to criticize me, but they are trying to help me see that something is not working. Mm -hmm. um, so to be able to talk about things non-defensively requires self-awareness first. So 
that would be the first step I would say, cultivate self-awareness and learn mm -hmm. about attachment, learn about yes. maybe read the book attached or there's also tons and tons of other books that are really important and helpful, but um, cultivate self-reflection and awareness. Um, how would you best reignite communication in a silent relationship? So now we're talking about the relationship is really dramatically degraded. Um, it's got to a place where now you're just giving each other the silent treatment. Um, how would you best reignite Oof. communication in that situation? Oof. Silent treatment is, yeah, I would wonder kind of how long that's been going on and, and when that began. Um, and without getting too diagnostic here, you know, sometimes when one person's giving the silent treatment, it can be a form of emotional and psychological abuse. So I'd be, I would just wonder, like, if you are in an abusive relationship, the, the treatment looks very different than if you're just like, I don't know how to talk about this thing with my partner, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to vilify silence because sometimes silence is a, is a symptom of, of something that can absolutely be worked on. But I would also say that if you're in a relationship where the person is continually giving you the silent treatment, I would be curious with you about... Um, the long-term like the long-term impact on on you in that relationship, and and I would question if this is the right relationship to be mm. in because we can't make people reignite communication if they use silence as a tactic. Mm. That's good. I was Does working. That answer your question. Yeah, Sorry. that does. I'm just gonna because I remember working with someone. Um, I have to be careful here because they might watch. <laughs> um, uh -huh. And it was a guy and. And so I was kind of saying to him, you know, if you don't talk, how are you going to move forward in this relationship that you're struggling with? Yeah. And and his response was, I'm so hurt. I can't find the words to talk. Mm -hmm. And so it it's a little bit different to what you're saying there because they just, they don't see any hope. Mm -hmm. um, so that was interesting. I was a little bit lost for words there. Yeah, maybe I misunderstood how you were asking that. Of course. No, I, I think I think your answer was was really good. I think what you said was really good. Okay. I guess I'm okay. I'm playing I'm playing on a wide spectrum. So I'm going okay, sure. that's good. How about people who are kind of coming at it from this angle? Because because both are you know valid. Absolutely, and it is valid to feel hurt and not know how to communicate it, and um, that is valid. It is valid and. I think your advice is, I mean, I'd say go talk to a couple's therapist, like, or, or excuse me, individual, even like mm. start to try to find the words, have the courage to find the words. If you don't know the words, go find somebody who can help you with the words then because long-term tenability in relationships, when there's that type of silence or stonewalling is another way of saying it kind of like mm. icing people out yet. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's abusive. So if we're not talking about the abusive kind, go talk to somebody and find the right words for yourself. Figure it mm. out. And that's kind of that figure it out ability I've been talking about. Like you have to have the courage to go toward that. Otherwise, mm. the relationship will suffer. And I guess that's where toxicity can enter, can't it? Because if one person yeah. is super hurt and gone silent because the other one is, let's say, overly aggressive. So they yeah. now they can't talk or they feel they can't. Now what's happening is you're having a cycle of abuse that's actually affecting both people. Yeah. It's not one way. And then you really mm -hmm. need some help to get that unstuck. Don't you? Um, Absolutely. And hurt feelings are, you know, therapists forte. So yes. like, just yeah. know that you can go to a space and I would recommend start out in individual counseling in that situation, mm -hmm. go and learn kind of what it is that 
you need to say freely outside of your relationship. And then, uh, you know, you can start with a couple's counselor or something, because if you don't know what you need to say, then that whole couple's uh, situation is going to be very triggering. Mm. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of like going and figuring out what you feel first. So then you could tell your partner, this is what's happening for me. Mm. Yeah. Sound. Uh, right. Let's see. Ooh, oh, we've kind of covered that one as well. We've got quite a few questions. So I just, I'm really, I, I'm really value your time. So I want to give you ones that we haven't touched on. Sure. Um, we looked at shared vision and values a little bit. We talked about growing together in that way. Um, okay. In the midst of an argument, what quick tips? So we're talking about quick tips in the moment, in the heat of the moment. Um, mm -hmm. Do you, can you give to dissolve the anger and bring the person back to say ground zero before things escalate? Okay, quick tips. Um, having kind of a stock phrase of, I am angry right now. I'm going to take five minutes. I'm going to leave. I'm going to take space. Um, I will come back and talk to you at 1 30. Does that work for you? Right? Like just st taking taking space to self-regulate so you could come back to the conversation. Um, the really important piece of this, though, is that you communicate it. You say what you're doing. You don't just leave. Mm -hmm. um, and you give a time frame of how long you're going to be gone. So mm -hmm. if it's a really big anger, a really big argument, you might need to say, you know, I'm going to leave the house for a couple hours. I can't talk about this right now. But at five o'clock before dinner, I, I will bring this up to you. Does that work for you? Mm -hmm. um, or if it's a little bit smaller, you say, I'm going to just take a take a breather real quick. I'll be right back. I'm going to think about what you've said and, and I'm going to come back to this. But I think that these things can really kind of snowball if, if you don't mm -hmm. have the space. And, um, you know, anger is a valid emotion, but anger is a feeling of defense, too. It's a feeling mm -hmm. of you've come too close. You've, you've violated me in some way. So I'm going to try to attack you. Well, that might be necessary in certain situations, but it's likely that if you're having a, an, a verbal altercation with your partner, you know, that's not really going to help you in that moment. So self-regulating, taking space and communicating how mm. long you're going to be gone, when you're going to come back and how it's going to go down can really diffuse it. Mm. Now, I guess the, I'm always pushing for the next step. So, um, Natalie, we're in an argument right now. You've told me that you, 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 you know, you're very angry and you, you, you want to walk away. You need a few minutes, but, mm -hmm. um, no, I don't want that. I want, I want to solve this right now. Where are you going? You always do this. You always run away. Um, mm -hmm. how, how can you manage that sort of, cause now remember we're not talking rationally. You might, you might both be in a really irrational state at this point. Um, how would you respond? So again, this is probably easier said than done, but if it's, if it's a situation like that, validating the partner's experience is really powerful. So even if I'm like really mad at you right now and we're in an argument, and if you say you always do this, you always, I could say something like, I know you're mad too. I see that you're mad as well. I'm mad too. We're going to try to solve this together. I can't do this alone. Um, and neither can you. Mm. So here's what I need. I need to take five minutes. I need to take a breath. But I see you. I see your anger as well. So even just validating, I see that you're also in a distressed place can help at least turn the volume down a little bit on that feeling. But I know that that's easier said than done. But those are the types of techniques that you can work on too. Excuse me. That's right. Um, once you learn to fight fairly with a partner. And that's something that I really work on with couples too. Like how do you fight? Like things are going to come up. But how do you, do you fight fairly? Do you fight unfairly? Do you guys 
pull out all these really mean, nasty things, all the things that you've hidden from each other and throw them at each other. It's like, that's probably going to damage you a lot more. Mm. Um, but simply validating the other person can go a really, really long way. Yeah, I, I feel that, as you say, that's really strong. Um, and then in terms of, you know, the way that you fight, I think Jay Shetty, he's like a, a, a sort of a, you probably heard heard about him. He, he said, um, the secret to success in a relationship is not how you love each other, it's how you fight. So mm-hmm. you use the term there, I haven't really heard it before, but fight fairly, how do you fight fairly in your relationship? Yeah. And I think that's that's something to really sort of, I guess, determine when you're in your good, when you're in your good spot, right? When you are in a good space, you could say, well, actually, if we get into this space, here's some boundaries we can put a, 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 around our fights to make sure that we don't cross the line. Absolutely. That's, that's so true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I know Jay, I don't know a lot of his work, but um, I know he talks a lot about relationships and stuff. So that sounds like great advice too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's in line with what you're saying. Um, mm-hmm. I'm one of those. I'm a connector, so I see things and I go, "Oh, that goes with that." No, that I love it. I, I'll I'll mm-hmm. look up his stuff more. I think I follow him in on on Instagram. He has a pretty large following now. I think, right? I Isn't think it? so. Yeah, I think so. I don't. I'm not. I don't avidly follow him, but um, I know that okay. some of the stuff that's popped up, I'm like, "Oh, yeah, that's really that's really interesting." Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, here's a good one. How do you repair? So. Can you can you sense the theme now? We've we've talked about, you know, what's good to look for in a partner. We've talked about emotional connection, sexual connection. Now we're talking about what happens when there's when there's storms. Um, how can you repair a fractured relationship when trust, so trust being the issue, has been broken? Well, yeah, th- this one, um, I, th- I I would say that you have to like have the courage to try again. Have the courage to try to trust. You can't trust somebody unless you trust somebody and you need experiences to trust somebody. So let's say you've had a relationship with somebody for five years and it's largely been trusting you guys, but something happens, whether that be uh, an infidelity or some sort of betrayal, right? And now in that moment, you're completely enveloped and like, I can't trust my partner anymore. They've hurt me. They're they've done this to me and it's so, so painful. And it's like, yeah, I get that. It is. How do you work through that? Well, if you, you have to first choose that you want to, you have to decide that you still want to be in this in some way and it might kind of waver, but you have to on some level be like, no, I do want to work on this. Mm. And then the second thing would be, well, how many years have they shown you that they are trustworthy and can you give them another I mean, in, in some ways, it's like a chance. Like, can you give them another chance? Now, mm-hmm. if these types of betrayals are happening again over and over and over again, well, now we have a different conversation on our hands. But the idea that your partner is going to 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 break your trust at some point, I mean, expect it. It's going to happen. Mm-hmm. How big that is to you will depend on what happened, the context, and then, how, of course, how you work through it. Now, a piece of advice too, if you're the person who has broken the trust, let's say you're the person who has done the thing that is broken the trust, um, how well do you take accountability for yourself, for the mm. behavior? Do you, are you able to speak to it in a way that is defenseless and not attacking? Like you made me do this or we haven't had sex in a year. That's why I had to go have sex with that person. It's like, mm. Are you able to take ownership over your own behaviors and how do you communicate that and take accountability to your partner? Because the likelihood 
that um, that person is going to want to give you another chance will really depend on how much contrition do you, you know, ex- uh, experience, do you, do you come back? Do you, are you able to put words to it? Or are mm. you like, what's the big deal? It happened once. It won't happen again. Can we stop mm. talking about it? But the emotional connection has to be rebuilt before anything else. And that really comes back to self-awareness, mm. self-reflection, accountability. How are you showing up? And are you able to take accountability for your behavior? Yeah, that's really good because if if I came back, so again, Natalie and Ricks, I've broken your trust. Um, yeah. We've talked about it. You've brought it up. And I've said, well, you know, I did it because of this reason. I've already said, I'm sorry. You know, right. we've already had an, like maybe we had a really cool connection afterwards. Yeah. And I am really sorry, but why do you keep bringing it up for um, all that kind of thing? I guess there's an accountability on the person who's broken the trust, whatever that is, to, I'm not saying, I don't know if this is the right term, but just be sorry for it maybe forever. Like, I don't mean you grovel forever, but just go, yeah, I recognize 10 years ago I did that thing. I did apologize and I still own mm-hmm. that, you know. Um, yep. And the interesting thing with with that is it actually builds trust, doesn't it? <laughs> I know it does. That's so weird. It does. But that what you're talking about, it's such a it's such a useful technique. I mean, it's a strategy in many ways that you can employ, but you have to be able to to kind of own it over and over and over again. And I think that that sometimes is hard because we might feel shame if we're the person who has broken the trust. I don't want to be reminded how shitty of a person I am. Sorry, can I say that? A bad, yeah, yeah. How bad of a person I am or what I've done to my partner whom I love. I don't want to think that I am I did something bad all the time. It's like, I, I do get that. But part of this is being able to transcend that and say, I've hurt my partner first and mm-hmm. I need to take care of my own shame and guilt in a way that it does not supersede their hurt in this moment because I've done this. I have done this and it was bad and that doesn't make me a bad person forever. It just, it's something that occurred, but the repetition of, yep, I did do that. I know it hurt you and I will be sorry as many times as you need me to be sorry for it. That can go a long, long way and definitely rebuild the trust. Mm, Really good. How can individuals prioritize self-care whilst also maintaining a healthy relationship with their partner. So just to give some context to that, um, there, there is a balance, I guess, between making the other person your priority person, but at the same time, not to the detriment of your own self-care, your own self-being as well. Um, how, how can we get that balanced? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, this kind of comes back to communicating your needs. Um, and and giving your partner the space to to take care of themselves. Like a uh, personal example is my husband is somebody who requires a lot more solitude than I do. He likes to do very individual activities, whether that be running or, um, you know, doing gardening work or just playing chess on his phone, which we both do a lot. But the point is, is like there yeah, are things chess on your phone. Yeah. all the Sorry, time. I'm oh, my God. Fan. Find me on chess.com. I love it. Oh, amazing. Yeah. I love it. Um, but his level of needing more solitude, his self-care is much, much higher than mine. Mm-hmm. Now, when I first started dating him way back when, you know, I, I used to, to 
perceive that as like a form of rejection. But over time, he's been able to tell me, you know, it's not me rejecting you. I just need this for myself. I just need this on my own. So what we've come up with, something that's worked for us is um, he then tells me, hey, I'm going to take an, a couple hours to myself this afternoon. Is there anything that you need from me during that time? Or is, is that good? I'm like, yep, great. And my anxious self can say like, oh, I know exactly what he's doing. I know exactly what's happening. So his self-care isn't being perceived in my anxious mind as a rejection. Mm. Um, and it really is like a small check-in. Like, hey, honey, I'm going to do this. Um, just letting you know. Not asking for permission because he doesn't need to, but saying, you know, is there anything else that we're supposed to be doing or is this okay? It's like, yeah, but there's nothing else. Um, so being able to communicate what you need, but it starts with knowing what you need. Um, mm. Like I said, I really, you know, I really need to like move every day. Well, sometimes I need to move after work when we're supposed to have dinner. And it's like, no, I really need to just go to the gym for 25 minutes. Like, and he gets it. He knows it. So mm. no problem. I take a dance class once or twice a week. It's like, this is my time. I have to do this. It's built into our schedule. Well, mm. he already knows that. So again, I think communicating it, but also being able to identify what do I need? What do I need to do yeah. for myself? And then say, hey, honey. I'm going to let you know, but I think that people's self-care can look differently than others. Mm -hmm. um, and if there's a self-care activity that takes a tremendous amount of time, that might need to be negotiated differently. Um, I know some people really enjoy playing rounds of golf. Um, I'm a terrible <laughs> golfer, but I also enjoy golf. But sometimes, you know, that could take four or five hours. Well, if you're doing that three times a week, that could really, you know, infringe upon the relationship, even though that's self-care. So communicating about it, what are you, what, how can we do this? Maybe there's times where your partner can go with you, or maybe mm. you only play once a week, right? Like there's all these ways that you can fix it, but you have to talk about it. I think what you're saying there is to, to know what you want, communicate that, negotiate yeah. if it's, if it's, you know, it has an impact on the, on the relationship. Yep. Um, but some, something, oh, has it gone from me? Oh, I, I like what you said in terms of you don't need permission from each other. No. You're checking in and it's almost like that check-in actually validates the other person to say, yeah. I, I see you. I hear that you might feel that there's a disconnection here, but here are mm -hmm. my reasons. And actually we can connect at such and such a time yeah. whenever, however that is negotiated. That's good. Yeah. Strong. And it's, it is. And, and really it's about if anybody's listening and they say, well, that sounds like he's asking for permission from her. It's like, then you've missed it. You've missed the mm. point where, where part of the dynamic is how do I remain connected to my partner and checking in is a way to remain connected. I'm not controlling what he does. He, you know, we could totally shift things around if I, we did have something that he needed to be a part of or whatever. But the idea is that I'm coming in because I know that he knows that I need, I need to be checked in with because I tend to perceive or fill in the blank when he's doing things alone for long periods of time that he does not mm -hmm. want to be next to me, which is not true. It's not true. So mm -hmm. he knows that I need that. And he, that's him showing up in an emotionally connective way for me. So that then is going to impact how close I feel to him, how communicated, yeah. and then that's going to impact how sexually connected I feel. I, I mean, it's going to impact like a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. So those are the small moments where it's like, well, I'm not going to ask for permission. It's like, well, do you care about the emotional connection? Because really, this is just a check-in. This is yeah. just a check-in. Yeah, it's good. Really good. It's so it's so interesting that 
when you really break it down, it's quite simple. Yeah. But actually to do that while the complexity of life is going on, it's like... (laughs) I know. Um, oh, here's one. It's a long question. Let's see if we can get through it. What advice, I just want to read it correctly. What advice would you give to someone in a relationship when one person inputs and works on their flaws, but the other one refuses to accept their development areas in a way that's negatively impacting the relationship? So I know you've, we've kind, you've kind of touched on this in terms of self-awareness and having that self-awareness. Yeah. But if the, if the person in the partnership doesn't have that self-awareness and maybe let's say you've been together for a long time so there's you know there's there's a lot of connection is this the major red flag is this a okay this needs to be looked at um yes yes it is um i will frequently talk to individuals who've come to therapy who say you know i've been in a marriage for 20 30 years um and my husband or my wife they just don't they don't have any interest in like learning anything new or trying anything different or, you know, I've asked them to go to therapy. They say no. I mean, look, I'm going to let you in on a big secret. Like that is a red flag. That's a huge red flag because what it's what they're saying is I'm not hearing that something is not working for you or I hear you, but I don't care enough to try to 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 work on it. I don't yeah. I'm not taking you into consideration. And I would, you know, I would help that person understand, is this something that can ultimately be accepted? Can you accept this about your partner? Is this, is this, can we situate this in a way where it's, it's not taking over your day to day or it's that distressing, but oftentimes what, what I find, and this is more anecdotal than research-based, but if somebody's coming in and they're like, I have this lust for life in some way, I have this desire to learn and grow and be different and find relationships that fulfill me and the other person doesn't um yeah we we can't make them want that um Mm. but we can discuss why you are okay with living in lack or in scarcity if and and typically that turns into like well i can't how do we begin to tackle deep-rooted and perhaps long-standing relationship problems and not leave it until we're at the point of divorce um, so I know we've already talked about when you get married, say hey to your your therapist, try and you know find someone to kind of prevent that. But let's say people didn't le- listen to this podcast, right? So they're only coming back to this later on in life and they're like, oh no, we're at this point where we've just got so many deep root issues. Um, where do we begin? Um, well, you, be- you begin with finding a couples counselor. I mean... Okay. And is that Again, what they would look for? We've talked about therapy, but is would it be specifically, okay, go for a couples therapist? Like that's kind of a good starting point. And then trust that they would say, well, actually you need individual therapy based on whatever's disclosed. Sure. Yeah, I would say you can start there. Um, you could also start with individual counseling. But I, the question that I would pose to that couple is, if there are so, so, so many things and many years have passed and there's tons of resentment and you know i therapists are there we're you know we can do a lot but we're we're also not magicians like i'm not Mm -hmm. able to go back the past 30 years and take away the 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 build-up like there is a build-up that can occur and 
it it happens where people say I've reached a, a critical point where I'm not able to, I'm really not able to to try it any differently with this partner. So um again, I I don't want to I don't want to be quick to saying like that's never going to work, but with without again the self-awareness, the support system, the therapy without asking yourself or recommitting to the relationship in some way, like we're both committed to working on this and making this different. Mm -hmm. Again, it kind of goes back to the question that you just asked before, which is what if one person really wants it and one person doesn't care or is indifferent or doesn't want it? It's like, well, then you have some work to do individually to ask yourself, is this worth the work? Because mm -hmm. it really becomes work at that point, emotional work, yeah. not impossible, but it is work. I, I like the way you phrased it as well, because if if you if you get to a place where you go okay here's some work we need to do but actually yeah. i don't want to do it um yeah. that in itself is the answer isn't it because right at the beginning you talked about you don't give advice you're not there to tell people what to do but as you shepherd mm -hmm. as you come alongside them they get to the realization oh i've been avoiding this issue or maybe maybe it's maybe i don't want to continue or maybe i do want to continue but it means i've got a xyz and is it worth doing the xyz you know those sorts of things yeah. yeah. And something else, just um, another myth buster in here. It's not my job as a couples therapist to keep you together. Mm. I have no vested interest. If you stay in this relationship, I have no vested interest in terms of like keeping you in counseling for couples work. My job is to help both of you see what the other one wants and facilitate communication and goal setting and all the things that I can do. But I tell people typically um, in the intake call when I do a consult with somebody, I, especially for um, if one if one person is calling, I mean, I would say this to both of them, but, you know, it's not my job to make sure this relationship stays together. Mm -hmm. um, and that actually can be quite jarring to some people because they go, well, what is your job? And then I explain, you know, mm -hmm. I'm here to guide you. I'm here to create understanding. I'm here to create space um mm. bring about different education and modalities to help you bring warmth help create empathy mm. but it's not my job to make you be in this i i think there's so much power in that as well we we talked at the beginning didn't we about anonymity and not can i say the word if you're anonymous uh they don't know enough about anonymity you. yeah and yeah. and i still can't say it is Armenia. that right anonymity now i'm thinking of <laughs> now yeah yeah whatever we know what we're saying um it kind of gives you power because let's say you're an uncle you're an auntie you're a mom a dad your children are coming you know they're in their relationships you're a religious leader maybe you're a community leader or something and you have a vested interest it can warp the way that you're seeing a relationship yeah. um whereas if you go to an external source it's like well the keys are in your hand it's your choice it's up to you what you want to do not you know giving you whatever the uh the the wants or the or the the thinking yeah. is from the other person so yeah that's kind of i never thought about it like that before it is it's a really different kind of way of approaching it because you're right i mean you know culturally or in your family maybe you know nobody ever has gotten divorced or people just tend to live dissatisfied relationships because they don't know any different it's like that's what I'm saying. Like things can look different. And this of course is where courage comes in mm. because do you have the courage to actually live an aligned life, a life that is what you want 
And it's not to say that you'll never waver. I mean, it's very healthy in relationships at times for you to say, you know, I'd rather not be in this relationship right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's totally normal. But do you come back to it and say, no, I do. This is what I want. Mm -hmm. But if you're spending months or years being like, this is not what I want. Yeah, coming to see me after 20 years or 10 years or even just a few months is like, yeah, I can't make your partner want Mm -hmm. to be here. And I can't make you want to stay in this, but I can help you see how it's going to be okay, how yeah. you're going to be okay no matter what. I'm remembering something. Uh, I had someone in my life um, who was in an, a physically abusive relationship and nobody knew, nobody knew about this. Um, yeah. And then when they got the courage to speak up about it, um, I think they went to a trusted source and uh, it was a woman in this case and she went to a trusted source and and that trusted source who was a, a generation older said yeah that's what happens in marriage you've just got to chin up and and crack on and i just i didn't know about it at the time when it was happening this is kind of like years later they were opening up and stuff and and i was just like i felt my heart broke for the person receiving the advice but yeah. then it also on another level broke for the person giving the advice because yeah. obviously oh, that was yeah. learned right that was that was like made okay for maybe it was generation upon generation. I don't know, but yeah. but that person couldn't go out there and get help for herself. And I want to throw in it could be male, it could be female. I'm not, I'm just I'm not trying to stereotype here, but like in yeah. this particular case, this is what was happening. And I just thought to myself, she broke the cycle because she did get help and she did leave that relationship. And it's many years ago now, and you know it's all you know she's obviously carries some some scars from that, but the wounds have healed. Um, and I just thought, wow, you know, the more we talk about courage, the more we talk about anxiety, the more we talk about suicidal thoughts, the more we talk about, mm. you know, mm-hmm. um, all of these things, it actually removes that darkness within it all. And, and does Natalie, does a Natalie brings the light, you know, shines light and goes, <laughs> um, what, what's going on here? And, and actually, you know, removes the power that that yeah. quietness has. Um, and it's really sad. I don't know why I thought of that, but. Oh, no, thank you for sharing that. And I really felt it when you said that you felt for the person receiving the advice, but then how much pain the person giving the advice must be in to have that be the answer to that, that this is somehow tolerable, that this is how, quote unquote, things go and Mm -hmm. there's nothing to do. It's like, well, okay, I, I think we can surmise what that person has been through in some way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, under, uh, under, sorry. Yeah. Under what conditions as a marriage therapist, would you advise people to go their separate ways? Well, I don't give advice, right? But let's go with that question. Um, Mm -hmm. if somebody is in an abusive relationship, Mm -hmm. whether that be narcissistic abuse, physical abuse, Mm -hmm. we have to be able to call it what it is. And so that might be a situation where I would say, you know, this is a, this this you might need to really look at do you want to should you be in this i just want to hone in on the word abuse because it it does get thrown around a lot uh mm-hmm. i i've had um i've struggled with anxiety in the past it was a really tough time and so when someone says hey i'm really anxious about the new marvel movie is it going to be good it kind of gets my back up because i'm like hang on you're using that word out of context you're a little bit maybe nervous or excited or whatever it is but not anxious so with abuse as well from my understanding it's about not giving the other person free will choice and it's about Mm -hmm. controlling or manipulating a situation 
Yeah. Uh, is that right? Is that? Yes, you're spot on. Okay. All right. That's right. Um, and, and again, like I don't, it, a lot of things aren't, aren't abuse. They're just like challenging dynamics that can totally be worked through. But, um, if anybody's listening and your partner hits you, screams at you, demeans you, uh, manipulates you, uh, threatens you, uh, that qualifies as probably abusive. And, um, I encourage you to get some help. Ricks, I don't know if there's a way to like put down any hotlines or any like safe mm-hmm. lines for people at the end of, I don't know where this is going to be posted, but okay. just to have a resource for people, yeah, like the suicide hotline, the domestic violence hotline, things like that. Um, I want to make sure people who are listening, if they're in a situation like that, mm. um, that they have a resource that they can use. That's a great idea. I, I will look up some. Um, if you have any of those for the for the States, chuck, you know, send yeah. me an email. I'll put them in the description. I'll, send it I'll to do you. the same for the UK as well. So if you are listening. Right. We're in we're in different countries. Forgive me. I forgot. <laughs> yes, you're right. Um, I'll, but I'll send you the national, the national, Ameri- you know, in the United States, Brilliant. the suicide hotline and things like that. Brilliant, brilliant. And, 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 and just to add to that as well, if you are listening and you're not quite sure if you need help, just ask anyway. You know, just ask anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. It might not be as ex- as extreme as something, but sometimes we're a bad measure of what we need. And sometimes mm-hmm. we tolerate what we shouldn't be tolerating. So, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's good to to put some signposting um, links down there. Yeah. Um, next question is pretty much where the other question was. Uh, the only difference with it is what if kids are involved? What if uh, maybe you're married, maybe you're in a relationship and you've, you've got children mm-hmm. involved? Um it's complicated. <laughs> I get that. Um, it's complicated. Um, I'll keep this as simple as possible. Pr- protect the children. Mm-hmm. Protect them. They mm-hmm. need more protection than you because they don't have any control. They mm-hmm. have no control over their lives. So whether they are, especially if they're young children, um, if you're in an abusive situation, you need to you need to get them out of there. And mm-hmm. you need to get them out of there now. Mm-hmm. Um, not to be an alarmist, but these things have a way of kind of prolonging or like, I think it'll be okay. Or, you know, the person who's abusive or screaming or physical, they only do that when they drink or they only do that when they, and they're not doing that anymore. So it's okay. Well, no, no. Um, So protect your children and whatever that means, get them out, Mm -hmm. take them somewhere else. Maybe it means you need to get out. If maybe if you can't do it for yourself, can you do it for your kids? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, that's my advice. It, It may be a little simplistic, but it's just protect them protecting it's good um and i want to flip completely in the other direction mm-hmm. um and so here's a situation where um people say stay together under most circumstances maybe not physical abuse and, and extreme emotional abuse but stay together even though you're not happy even though things aren't really working but stay together mm-hmm. for the children's sake that's a common thing mm-hmm. that gets said uh, what are your thoughts around that well, I would say that culturally, different cultures really do promote that. Certain religions promote that as well. I'm not here to demonize anything like that. If you are come from a culture and that is a part of it and you abide by that, go ahead. I mean, again, everybody gets to decide their life. But from kind of a psychological developmental perspective, um, we are modeling constantly for our children. And so what would you want your daughter or your son to see? Would you want them to see you being in a marriage that is completely dissatisfying, that is uh, maybe at times abusive, even if it's not extreme? Would you want to see them or would they, would you want them to 
Would you want them to emulate your marriage? Would you want them to be in your marriage if they were? And if the answer is no, or oh my goodness, absolutely not, then it's not really about the children. Then it's about your own fear. It's about your own fear of what will happen. Now, I'm not saying that divorce can't be traumatic. I'm not saying that it's not hard. I'm not saying it wouldn't be difficult to get out of it. But, um, you know, what are you modeling for your kids? Because they're, mm. they're watching. Mm. And I guess that feeds into what you want to do. So if, if we're modeling something to the children that's not healthy and we both know it's not healthy, are we willing to either put in the work that might be uncomfortable, might be really challenging, or are we yeah. willing to, you know, separate and say, if I turn up for myself, I'm going to be a better husband, not a husband, sorry, a better father or a better mother uh, to the children as well. So it's kind of, again, comes back to that, you know, it does depend on the individual and, and they really have to show up for themselves, don't they, once they've made a decision. There is a quote, I'm going to totally botch it, but I remember reading this somewhere online and it was like, would, would, if you asked a parent, would you die for your child? They would probably say, yes, of course I would. There's nothing that I wouldn't do to protect my child in any way if they were in harm's way. But then the next question was, would you live for your child? Mm. Would you do the things that you needed to do to exhibit a healthy, happy life? Would you change your relationship to the people around you in order to show self-respect, self-dignity, integrity? Would you live for them? Would you do the things that you needed to do to become the best mother or father that you can be, mm. even if that looks non-traditional in some way? And that's always really spoken to me when I work with parents because I do parent coaching as well, mm. helping parents see like it's not noble to stay with just a partner just because of these children. That's so much pressure on the kids because ultimately they're going to go, they're going to go off. They're going to live a life. And now you're still here. So what are you promoting exactly? And mm. do you even know that you're promoting it? Yeah. Can a divorce be successful without a complex lawsuit? Is it possible? Yes, that it is. And as a matter of fact, in the United States, there are several different ways to get divorced. And one of them is called uh, through some, a process called collaborative divorce. And I actually do collaborative divorce work as well. Um, it's basically where you create a team of people. So it's not litigated. They, they don't, you don't go to court at all. And that's a huge uh, marker of why it's called a collaborative divorce. But basically, you get mental health professionals, attorneys, and financial advisors involved to have a team of people to help this these two people who are married uncouple in a way that mm. does not cause tremendous emotional or financial damage. Now, does it always work perfectly? No, but um, there are there are actually structures set up in the United States, at least I can speak to, where you can divorce in a way that is as amicable as possible. It's really, really powerful, especially if you uh, have a family with children, young children, and you're getting divorced, this can be really helpful because there's somebody advocating on behalf of the child and the mm. family unit. And mm. it's basically saying, even if we're not married, we can have a family. It's just going to mm. look a little differently. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. All right. Moving away from divorce, because we've kind of done Moving the whole away. journey from yeah. dating to marriage to all, all the kind of, um, let's go. Let's, so this, it was the second most common question. What is the secret to a great relationship? So I think it's a nice one to end on because it kind of sums up what's been said already. Uh, if you yeah. could sum up this conversation, what is this? What are the what are the nuggets for a, for a great relationship? 
what can people take okay. away if they just tuned in see. and bought it to the end? <laughs> Let me see. If you're going to take one thing away from this podcast, this is it. Um, cultivate self-awareness. Recognize your own needs and be able or learn to communicate them to your partner in a way that feels respectful mm-hmm. and respectful both to the relationship and to yourself. And learn how to approach your partner from their perspective. Sometimes um, a, a technique I'll use in, in, in couples sessions, depending on the couple, I'll say, I'd like you to now argue the other person's point. I want you to be so aware of what, that, what your partner needs that you could argue it to them. And it really creates this empathy. So empathy is kind of at the cornerstone of emotional connection and emotional connection is at the cornerstone of physical intimacy and intimate physical intimacy is at the cornerstone of sexual intimacy. So as you can see, all these things like really, it's kind of like a ladder, like a staircase, they all build on each other. Um, But it starts with you. It starts with your own self-awareness, your own ability to put your defenses down and have the courage to look at yourself and what needs to grow or change or be understood. Mm. well put (laughs) what a great summary (laughs) great fantastic it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you today (laughs) likewise likewise this was absolutely lovely you are such a wonderful conversationalist and as someone who really loves conversation I thank you so much for having me here I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping we can be friends after this as well and touch base every now and then and see how how the other person is doing um I just want to throw out there for anyone listening as well we actually don't know each other we don't have any mutual friends I Mm -hmm. came up I saw I think I saw some of your content on Instagram I started following Mm -hmm. you and then after I don't know a year or a few months I was like Natalie would be an absolutely amazing person to have a conversation with. <laughs> Why don't I just try and reach out and see what happens? Like, what's the worst mm-hmm. that can happen? You'd say no, right? Um, so I just want to put put that out there. Like, there are things in life that you think are not possible. And so mm. if you're listening today, if you're watching online, go for it. Have a go, you know. Thank you so much for, for being on today. I really, really appreciate it. It means a lot to me. You are welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I very much enjoyed this. And you are lovely and you are fantastic at what you do. And um, I'm so glad you reached out to me. And I would also enjoy a friendship after this. So please um, don't be a stranger, okay? Brilliant. Uh, just before I go, I have to ask you one last yeah. time. Where can people find you online again? Your Instagram? Yes. My Instagram is probably the best way to find me. It's at Natalie Kazarian MFT. Um, and that is also my email. It's nataliekazarianmft at gmail.com. So please reach out to me if you are interested in services in California. This is the state that I am licensed in. Um, but I periodically do kind of free resources for people too. So if you want to, you can follow me on Instagram and um, I post things and free support groups, meditations, things like that, um, that I perform virtually. So um, in the future, if, if my voice resonates with you in any way you can follow me passively or you can engage with me um and i encourage you all to message me if you'd like Um, i don't answer any therapy questions through dm and of course i don't answer any phishing like kind of weird like hey (laughs) buy this thing or whatever but if you are a real person and you have a real question i'm happy to chat with you so 
Fantastic. And of course, we'll put those links in the description as well. Um, so it'll make it really easy for you to find Natalie on Instagram and online as well. If you've been listening to this from home, I said it again, wherever you've been listening to this, <laughs> uh, it is my heart that you move forward, keep moving forward and keep going encouraged. We'll see you on the next one. Really hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you did, do let us know in the comments or you can connect with us via our social media channels where the links are available on www.goencourage.com. If you haven't already, you can now get a copy of the Courage Journal that we've put together to help you build courage on a day-to-day -day basis. We have a paperback version and a hardback version as well. Links are on the website. You can purchase these in the UK, the US, Australia, Canada, and all across Europe. So go and have a look at that. Uh, I think it's going to be a really valuable resource. All right. So until the next time, whatever you're doing, keep moving forward and go encourage.